and welcome back to Gold Shields. I'm your co-host, Dan Murphy, along with my partner in crime, Tom Smith. Every week, we bring you the best, most compelling cases told to you directly by the detectives and investigators who made those cases. This is true crime at its purest. We give you a backstage pass to what it's really like to work those cases, the struggles, the difficulties, the frustrations, and the successes. Tom and I both were honored and proud during our 50-plus years with the New York City Police Department to carry the Gold Detective Shield. And we want to bring on people on this show who will blow you away with their cases, with their stories, and today is no exception. We are very excited about our guest today. And with that, I'm going to kick off and just say hello, as I always do to my partner in crime, Tom Smith. How are you doing today, buddy? Good, Danny. What's happening, buddy? If looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. And uh, I know you got some folks you want to thank who did us a real solid the other day. So let's get into that. Yeah, you know, uh, Kevin and Mike from the Suffering Podcast did us a real solid the other day uh, and mentioning us on their Instagram pre-show, which was really cool. Uh, we didn't ask them to. Uh, they just did it out of the goodness of their heart of being in our family and and former law enforcement uh, officers in, in Roseland uh, PD and Lyndhurst PD in Jersey. And it's just the brotherhood and the sisterhood kind of coming together. And Kevin and I had a conversation about, you know, podcast worlds helping each other. You know, mm -hmm. it's not exclusive. It's not our own ball and you can't play with it. You know, we Fine. should be kind of crossing each other with our listeners because the more they promote us, the more listeners we get. The more mm -hmm. we promote them, the more they get. And that's what this is all about. Because it's about a message. It's about what we're all, what both shows are into and getting out there. And that's the important part. And Kevin and Mike were great the other day. And I just want to let them know a little about their show, The Suffering Podcast, really brings attention and awareness to PTSD, substance abuse, and alcohol abuse, which is unfortunately in the law enforcement world. And they do a phenomenal job with bringing the attention to that and the awareness of it which is so necessary today, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the onsets of it, the signs, and, and most importantly, the treatments of it. So I just want everyone to go on their social media platforms, which they're on every everyone on, the, on planet Earth, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of them. And also go on their website, thesufferingpodcast.com, read more about them, check out their gear and their merchandise, which is great. Uh, and again, we just want to thank them. It was really cool what they did. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we have a big heart for the law enforcement community, having spent most of our adult lives in it. And we want to help them in any organizations or, or shows that we become aware of that have the same goal, the same mission. We want to partner with in any way and help because an expanded audience is a more informed audience. And it doesn't have to be law enforcement because most of the people who listen to the show may or may not be in law enforcement. But you need to know what's going on within the dynamic of this profession. And uh, during the course of our careers, uh, Tom and I both retired, we saw so many people suffering and struggling uh, because of the traumas you face, because of the situations you find yourself in. It's not normal. It's not a normal job. And you deal with the worst situations people are ever going to be in all the time. And as a result, it takes its toll on you. And we see a lot of situations going really bad. If we can be a part of doing something that helps somebody get um, the guidance and the help and the therapy that they need so they can get back up on their feet and they can do their job and it can be productive members of society and have a good life, personal life too. That's a home run because we've both seen 
lives fall apart as a result of the stresses and pressures from this job. So that's the that's a big part of the reason that we do this show is to to do that, but also to highlight the incredible work and commitment that is done by so many. The vast majority of law enforcement is more committed, and our guest today is an example of that, more committed to protecting their communities, more committed to being professional than the media, politicians, and those who like to bash cops would ever admit or even know. And this show is an opportunity for us to highlight that level of commitment to the communities that they serve. And I'm going to let Tom introduce today's guest, and you will be amazed at what this person has given and continues to give. Um, with that, I'll just hand it off to Tom because she's going to she's going to amaze you. Stay tuned. Uh, and you know what, Dan? We we've said it over and over again, and week after week, and we sound like a broken record sometimes of how lucky we are mm-hmm. that we have the guests that we have. And Kimber Gist is is absolutely that. And the epitome of this show, you know, we got this show together to highlight what goes on in law enforcement and the heroes and what's the commitment. And Kimber is that all wrapped up into one tough ass girl. All right. (laughs) And, you know, when I say that, it's with all the respect in the world, because I'm going to let her get into it, obviously, but just to give everyone kind of a heads up of what's coming. uh, One night. In 2016, while checking out a suspicious vehicle, which we've all done thousands of times, Kimber encountered the driver and was shot point blank range eight times. Yes, I said that correctly. Everyone adjust their radio. Amazing. Eight times and got out of it, continued her job. And she's still there today, and Kimber's going to get into it. And with all the respect that Dan and I could have for someone, mm-hmm. Kimber, welcome to Gold Shields, hon. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> thank y'all for having me on this this evening. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. Um, like y'all said, it, it's been a long road, and I appreciate y'all for reaching out to me to be able to do this show to. Actually, tell my story and get it out to um, law enforcement officers around the country. Um, I haven't been in law enforcement that long. I've only been in, in for nine and a half years, and I've had a great experience those nine and a half years, and I look forward to doing you know even more. So I started in law enforcement um, in 2013, December 2nd. Uh, I, I worked for the Berkeley County Sheriff's Office. I've been there since... And it has been an amazing experience. They have been um, a wonderful agency for me to work for. And I'm still, still blessed to this day that they gave me that opportunity. Um, As a young girl, I will tell y'all the reason why I decided to get into law enforcement was, you know, we used to sit around as a family and watch cops back in, um, I'm a 90s baby. We watched and that's when I knew then is when I wanted to be in law enforcement. Um, I got to see like the car chases. I got to see like all the officers. So of course we had the nineties episode of cops and America's most wanted used to come on at 9 PM, like right after that. So that was our ritual Saturday nights as a family Uh, would be my mom and my sister and I, and that was what we was having fun, you know, getting out with people, um, the vehicle pursuits was, was the big thing. Like I've always loved cars. Um, my my father got me into NASCAR as a child, so I've always loved to drive fast. Um, so 
couldn't be a NASCAR driver. Um, so I said, well, I'll go into law enforcement. They drive fast too. And and that's where it really started. Um, some of my favorite movies that I watched as a child was uh, U.S. Marshals. Um, that one really got me interested in, in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, um, if it's on TV now, I'm going to watch it because I love it. Um, another one, it was The Fugitive. I didn't know as a child that The Fugitive was uh, the movie that came out before U.S. Marshals, right? Because I was still like a, a baby baby kind of when that came out. But that just gives you an idea of I'm going to go into law enforcement. This is what I want to do. So I graduated high school, came down to uh, Charleston in 2009. I attended Charleston Southern University where I got my undergraduate degree in criminal justice and sit together. Um, so, you know, right after that, um, since I knew I wanted to go into law enforcement, I pretty much just shot out my application to what they call the tri-county area <laughs> here in South Carolina. So it's Charleston County, Berkeley County, Dorchester County. We all kind of certified. It's, it's hard to get in. So I just mm-hmm. sent it out to everyone. And I was like, well, the first person that, you know, replies to me, I'll, I'll take the job. Well, Charleston County um, gave me a tour at their detention center. And I just remember it being like multiple stories high. It was like four or five. And there were like inmates everywhere. And it was door after door. And I was like, this is a lot. Um, Small town I grew up in, like two red lights back then. So coming to Charleston was a culture shock. So on top of that, seeing that big facility was also a culture shock. So I want to say it was either the same day or the next day. Berkeley's detention center called me and offered me a tour of their jail. And I was like, wait, this one's a lot smaller. Like, it's still the same vibe. You know, it's still the same experience that I was going for. And it worked because I I ended up getting a lot of experience from the inmates there. So, like I said, I started in December of 2013 with our detention center. And I was that real go-getter because I knew I still wanted to transfer to patrol. So I was working a lot of overtime back then. They were really, really short. So we were mandatory, like maybe 14, 15 days in a row. So imagine going in and out of a jail 13, 14 days in a row. And it's pretty much like a daycare for inmates, really. Um, But all that hard work paid off because shortly after um, December of 13 and August of 14, they asked me if I wanted to go to patrol. And of course, I said, hell yeah. That was my goal, right? Now I actually get to to drive the car around. I actually get to go do what I saw on cops. Like I actually get to be the cop now. So I went to our Criminal Justice Academy here in South Carolina and the end of 14, 2014. And I graduated from the police academy February um, 27th, 2015. Um, so here in South Carolina, the police academy is... Well, back then it was 12 weeks, but of course I went during every holiday you could imagine. So I got hit with Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. So that just drug it out even longer. Um, so when I finally graduated, I was I was super excited, super happy. And our FTO program here at the sheriff's office is 12 weeks. So women in law enforcement, there's not a lot of us, especially um, deputy sheriffs. Um, so I actually was able to get FTO by another female deputy, which still to this day, love her to death. We, we still one another. Um, <laughs> and she meant, and then having a, a female that was also involved in officer involved shooting is kind of like 
really rare. <laughs> so I took a lot of respect from her because at the time um, that that was just unheard of. And she gave me a lot of courage and <laughs> experience. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm here today is because of the training that she provided. So, you know, rookie year, everybody's rookie year is, is that year. Like you, I was also involved in the officer involved shooting. So having law enforcement, everyone to see, hey, like this is my new car. Look what I got. So the area that I worked in back then um, was kind of like Tom and I discussed uh, a couple months ago, where unfortunately Mm -hmm. it was just that area that every time you came to work, you want to go out, you want to get into everything, you want to be, you know, you want to be top cop, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So I got off of FTO got assigned my my first Crown Vic. Everybody that got that first Mm -hmm. Crown Vic already knows that it's probably the best police vehicle you ever had. Um, Still to this day, I missed that car. That was my first car, but I loved it. I drove that thing everywhere. I was proud of it. I wanted like an arrest just fell in your lap. Um, Real high crime, drug, I mean, open air drug market, um, assaults, kidnappings, homicide, shootings, whatever you could think of, it it happened in that particular area. And fortunately and unfortunately, all of the new guys on the shift got that area because all the old guys were just like, I don't want to do that running and gunning. I'm sick of that area. And now I get it. So because I was able to, you know, make so many arrests and just make a name for myself, I was actually uh, given a brand new 2015 Tahoe. And my agency back then, having Tahoes was like a new thing. So if you got out of your Crown Vic and got a Tahoe, like you were hot stuff. So I was even more ecstatic that I got that new vehicle. So I'm driving around in my new brand new Tahoe and life is great, you know. Rookie year, everybody knows me, everybody likes me. I'm going out making arrests. So we get to um, the night of my incident, which was February 26th of 2016. So I, on the night shift, our shifts normally started at 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. and they went to either I was on the night shift my entire time. And so um, since I was um, 4:30 a.m. or 5:30 a.m. However, this particular um, afternoon, a lieutenant on our day shift, um, (laughs) his mother had just passed away and his entire shift wanted to be supportive and go to Mm -hmm. the funeral, which is respectfully what they should have done. Right. However, for them to go to the to the services, um, they needed our shift, the night shift to come out early, which is obviously what we did. Who would say no to that? Right. So instead of me waking up at four to go to work at four thirty, um, I woke up at like mm-hmm. I think I woke up at like ten. So this is my second day in rotation. So this is a Thursday, um, and I was supposed to have weekend off. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Thursday, I wake up and I'm just obviously tired because I just worked a twelve hour shift. Um, didn't get off until almost six that morning. So I'm already dragging, and then you want me to come to work early. So I remember when I got out of bed. And I just remember just throwing my uniform on, grabbing Mm -hmm. everything and saying to myself, like, today is not it. Like, I just don't want to go to work. I don't want to be here today. And little did I know, I think my body and my mind kind of already knew what was going to happen. It was just obviously I didn't know. So it's about 2.30. I get in my car and I start driving around in the area because they were like, hey, just go 10-8 for calls. Um, we'll worry about coming up to headquarters and getting your stuff together later. And I was like, all right, whatever. 
So some random call comes out about some guy that was supposedly naked and walking down the side of the road, just being an idiot. And I just remember going like, if I have to find this guy, like it's not going to happen today. Like my attitude was kind of already all over the place. So luckily um, my zone partner at the time beat me to the call and he handles it, deals with it, whatever. We go to Nate. So we ended up going up to the headquarters to the sheriff's office because there was a insurance representative there. This is kind of the ironic part of the story is the sheriff's office got a call from, um, can't remember the insurance company, but it was an insurance adjuster who wanted to provide extra um, life insurance to deputies on patrol. And they were like, well, it's free at no cost to the deputy because the sheriff's office was paying for it, but it was mandatory that you signed up for it. So that was why we had to go to headquarters that day. So I drive up there and I like, whatever, sign my name. I'm the deputy in my zone that particular, like, I don't even care, like an extra five gram. What is that going to do? Like, who cares about an extra five? Like, it's going to cost you like 20 to die anyway. So I said, whatever, sign my name, jump back in my car and I go to Nate. So I was the only killer evening and I'm driving around and ironically looking back on it, I didn't really get that many calls for service that day. Typically calls for service were like rolling out, <clears throat> but for whatever day, I really didn't have a, call, a high call volume, but I do remember going to one call and normally because I was in a zone by myself, the guys that were in the opposite zone, um, would say, hey, we're going to go eat. Do you want to come with us? Well, that particular night, it got a little late. And I was like, why haven't they said anything about eating dinner? So I called one and they were like, oh, we forgot to come and ask you if you wanted to eat. So of course, me being me, I'm like, nah, screw y'all. Y'all just didn't want to eat with me, blah, blah, blah. So I kind of tongue torch. I get like a little pissy about it because I'm like, y'all made me eat alone. Who does that? So I I go through the drive through at Zaxby's. And back then, my favorite order was the Nibbler's meal with dip the chicken in, um, obviously the seasoned fries with the uh, strawberry Fanta. Every time. Like, I, I still have this order memorized to the day. So I go and get that. <laughs> and a master's degree. So I was in, in the middle of doing like a discussion board. And I was like eating my dinner at the same time at the substation because I was like, hey, I got time. I go to our substation. Now, at the time, I had just started um, back in college to get my. So I scarfed down my dinner real quick. And mind you, all night I'm in the zone by myself. So I haven't seen any of my partners. And later that night, I end up getting a, a domestic call. And one of my partners, he pulls the paperwork wise. So I, I stopped and talked to him for like a couple of seconds and he was like, hey, like he needs to learn how to do stuff. And he's training a, I don't want to say new deputy because he was already certified in the state. He was just new to the agency. So he had a certified guy with him that he was just training pretty much our uh, paperwork for domestic. So we'll take the call. And I was like, all right, cool. Like my nephew's birthday party is this weekend. Um, so his birthday is March 2nd. And so um, I, I called my, I, I called the sergeant and I was like, hey, um, I don't want to sleep all day on Friday and then drive home, which home for me from where I am currently is about two and a half hours. So I had asked my um, sergeant if I could go home early because my nephew's birthday um, party was going to, his normal birthday, well, normal, his actual birthday is March 2nd, um, but 
for whatever reason, it, I guess my sister was having it early because it fell on a weekend. Um, so this week we were working Wednesday, Thursday, and I was supposed to be off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it made sense for me to try to go home early. So I didn't sleep all day on Friday and miss majority of Friday with family. So he was like, yeah, like you can cut out at like midnight. Um, anything with family, you know, we were really good with, like they would let you go home and handle your business. So I was talking to my zone partner at the time and he was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, it's just us. like, it was supposed to get like really, really cold that night. And he was like, yeah, we're not going to do anything anyway. So like, yeah, just go home. So I was like, all right, cool, whatever. So a little bit before midnight, I used to do what I call like my last lap. And that was when I would just like make the same loop every single night going around in a particular area just to say like I did an extra patrol on my way home. So that's what I was doing. So the food line is on um, Harbor Lake. That's the name of the road. And when you make the right on Harbor Lake, the food line, which is pretty much a, a grocery store chain for those who don't know, um, it's on the left-hand side in a shopping center. So it's a plaza. There was like a Chinese restaurant there at the time, like a cell phone store. And this particular area was really, really high in foot traffic because of it pretty much was a low income area. Um, so like I'm driving by and I see something catch, you know, my eye as it flickers, kind of like a light. And I look over to my left and there is a green expedition parked like a nineties model parked behind the store. And I'm like, who parks behind a store at midnight? And especially in this area, because we actually used to use that area to take breaks in. So you, there would be nothing for you to drive by and see like three or four cops back there just walking around, just, you know, stretching or whatever. Mm -hmm. You might see like it was a little patch of woods there. So like we would let the canine out back there. So nobody ever went back there at night except for the police. Mm -hmm. So I passed the car and I go up the road a little bit and I just stop because I'm like, I'll just wait on them to pull out because they just saw the police. Like who's just going to sit there behind the store knowing they're supposed to be there. Well, a couple of seconds go by and they didn't pull off. So I do like a three point turn in the road and I come back past them and I'm going like like probably like two miles an hour past this car. So at this point, I'm like, I know they see me. So what are they doing? Well, the store was it's kind of like made weird, like any, you know, shopping plaza that you would go to, like it protrudes out on the side. But for you to actually see around the corner, you would actually have to like drive up to it. So I pull into the parking lot and I sit there again. At this point, it's kind of like I'm perpendicular to the store, kind of like a T, but not really a T. And I'm like, all right, this car is going to pull out any second now. And they don't. So I'm like, all right. So I finally pull up, I make the left to go behind the store. And the car is like sitting like right there, the expedition. And so I couldn't, the way the store is parked, I couldn't like drive like completely behind the car. To like do like a normal traffic stop. So I was kind of like not a complete L shape, but not a complete T either. It was, and it's not perpendicular, but something like that. So I like told the dispatcher where I am and I'm getting out of the car. I'm like walking up to the driver's side of the car. And as I'm walking up to the driver's side of the car, I'm like telling them all of this information. Like it's the green expedition, you know, it's occupied two times, whatever. And I was about to give them the tag number, but then I realized it had a dealer plate on it. So I was like, uh, X that, like, this is where I am. Y'all got enough. Like, I'll get you a bill of sale here in a second. So they're like, all right, cool, whatever. Like, I've done this over 100 times, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll go up to the driver's side, and there's a female in the driver's seat. And then I look, and there's a male sitting in the back seat. 
on the passenger side. Now, mind you, there's only two people in the car. It's mm-hmm. an expedition. Like, who sits like that? So my spidey senses are going. The first thing out of my mouth is, why are y'all sitting like that? Mm-hmm. And you could just immediately tell, like, both of them were, like, shook. Like, oh, like, this girl's kind of smart. Like, what's going on? So I asked her because she was in the driver's seat and she was like, oh, well, my battery went dead. Now, mind you, there were still like some kind of like lights going around the bottom of the car that they put on the car. So the only way that the car would be on it, I mean, be the battery would be dead. Those lights wouldn't be on. Right. So she kind of like turns the key to the car like a little bit. But I could tell she didn't flip her entire wrist over. Kind of like she was trying to show me like the battery was dead, but it wasn't. And I was like, girl, I'm going to call bullshit, but whatever. I'll play this little game with y'all. <laughs> so <laughs> so I turned my attention to the guy in the back seat because he looked really, really young. Um, and I look and he's like shivering. So he's in like um, a tank top, wife beater type thing and some basketball shorts. Mind you, it's February. Now, South Carolina doesn't really get that cold, but February in South Carolina, like below 60 and we're like bundled up. So I'm looking at him like, who comes out the house in this weather, like dressed like you are? And Mm -hmm. he was like, well, I live across the street. And he pointed like right across the street to um, horrible neighborhoods called Pine Shadow Drive. Like we still to this day, we get calls of shots fired. It like, it's almost like once a week. It's like crazy. So I'm like, well, if her battery is dead and you live across the street, like it would just make more sense for y'all to just walk across the street and go get somebody. Right. Silence. They didn't have no answer for that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, since nobody's talking, like where are y'all coming from? And he was like, Oh, well I work at the mall and she had on a white t-shirt that had like some security company on it. And she was like, I'm security at the mall and our mall is, I mean, it wasn't out of the way, like 10, 15 minutes and you would have been out in the mall. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, I'm not tripping off that, but I'm still trying to figure out why y'all are behind the store. And he's shivering at this point. She's in the front seat chilling like she talks to the police every day. So at that time, I told him, I said, man, well, won't you just hop out the car real quick and talk to me in front of my truck? So he does that. So he jumps out the truck. Um, Rookie mistake. I turn my back to her. Don't pay her no attention. And I started talking to him and I was like, hey, bro, like, like, be for real. Like, why are you back here? And he was like, oh, no, that's my friend. We were just sitting here talking. She um, was leaving work. She came to the apartment, picked me up. He was like, I live with a whole lot of people. We just wanted some privacy. So we came back here. I'm like, all right, I'm cool with that. But I'm still not cool with the fact that y'all are just back here. So he was like, no, I swear we weren't doing nothing wrong. Blase, blase. So I said, well, can I pat you down? Make sure you don't have any weapons on you. He's like, yeah, you can search me. I mean, he said search. I said pat. He said search. So I said, yeah, I'm going to take the mile if you give it to me. So I, <laughs> yep. so I literally I go in this man's pockets. And when I tell y'all, he literally has nothing, not even a wallet, not even an ID. And I was like, all right, well, maybe he's for real. Maybe he is just back here meeting, talking to this girl. So I said, well, look, bro, I said, I'm by myself. My partner just pulled a traffic stop up the road until I can figure out what's going on. I said, do you mind just sitting in the backseat of my car? He was like, nah, I don't care. I'll get back there. So I put him in the backseat of my car. I'm like, all right, that's one person out of the equation. So I go walk back up to the car where she is. And as soon as I walk back up, I smell perfume. And I walked back up to the passenger side. So I left the back door open on the passenger side where he got out of. So I walked back to that same spot. So, like, as soon as I walked up to the car, I was like, did you spray, like, some perfume? And she was like, yeah. Like, you could see, like, the look on her face. She was kind of, like, startled that I had even picked up on it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, so why would you even do that? Like, who just randomly sprays perfume when you're out with police? Like, nobody does that. Mm -hmm. And silence. Mm -hmm. 
So I was like, all right. So I said, well, now it's your turn to pop out because I feel like you're the one that's going to give me the problems, which obviously hindsight 2020. Mm -hmm. So she gets out of the car. And as soon as she gets out of the car, I noticed she's like pulling down on her shirt, like towards her pants. And I was like, hey, don't put your hands down by your pants. Like take your hands up a little bit. And that's when I realized that her pants were actually unzipped. So I'm like, so in my mind, I'm thinking, how do I accuse this girl of prostitution without like any proof? So I'm like, look, so I told her, I said, face the car. I said, look, keep your hands on the hood of the car. And then I said, if y'all are back here, like in some little prostitution situation, I said, cool, that's fine. I said, just say that. So that way I can just tell y'all to go on about y'all day. And she was like, nah, I was just driving him home. I said, well, cool. I said, well, since you can't seem to sit still, I mean, stand still and like keep your hands down by your side. Like I asked you, I said, I'm about to pat you down, make sure you don't have any weapons on you. So at that point is when I actually called for my zone partner at the time, because he was like, maybe like a couple miles up the road, I think at the time doing his own traffic stop. So like they heard me or whatever. He acknowledged, he was like, all right, I'll be there in a, in a second. So I was like, all right, cool, whatever. So I go to like pat her down and she drops her hands back down to her side again. And I'm like, hey, I've already told you twice. Like, if I got to tell you again, I'm gonna put you in handcuffs. Like, all I'm trying to do is pat you down. So the way I used to pat people down is I always started at their waist, but I started on obviously the right hand side because I'm right handed and it was just easier to go right all the way to left. So that in my mind, every time I did it, I knew I did it right. Mm -hmm. Well, this particular time, I probably should have went left. But so... The second time she did that is when I called him and I said, hey, y'all, like 10-10 for us is a is a fight. So that means like everybody's coming pretty much. Mm -hmm. So I, I key up and I said, and my my um, call sign then was 144. So I said, like, county 144, like I'm 10-10 pretty much. And like soon as I like grab my lapel mic to say that is when she so she's facing her car. I'm behind her. So she's got her back towards me. And she um, reaches around. So I remember her left hand going down and I tried to grab it. So as soon as I, I missed, obviously, the left hand, she turns like real, real quick. And like, I mean, she's she wasn't a small girl. Like she had like some weight on her. So I initially thought like she was pushing me and was about to swing on me. So and that's when I like tried to key up again. It was like, yo, like I'm, I'm like legit in a fight. Well, then like this really, really bright flash happened. So I remember... I was turning my face to the right because she was coming with her left. So I was like, let me dodge this, try to like dodge the left hook. Cause I don't want her hit me like right in my face. But I remember like seeing a really, really bright flash. And then I remember hearing something extremely loud. It was like a, a literally a loud pop. And then like, I lost my hearing and I was like, yo, what the fuck was that? Like, what is that bright? And what is that loud that could just cause me to go into like a daze pretty much. So I remember like, I can't really explain how Tom just kind of like freezes, but it like damn near stopped. And I just remember like looking like, what the fuck is going on? Like, how do I snap out of this? And I remember seeing um, one of the trees because remember that woody area was right there that we used to let the canines go use the restroom in. And I remember looking and looking at the trees and I saw the trees like moving, but they were like moving like hella slow. Like I've never seen a tree move that slow since then, by the way. Um, <laughs> so I'm like how the fuck do I figure out what's going on? So I'm like talking to myself. I was like, all right, Kimber, like take a deep breath. Maybe like all of these other senses you lost, but maybe you can still like smell. So I did that. I took like a really deep breath in and I was like, okay. And I remember the initial smell was gunpowder. 
And I said, oh, shit. Like, the loud bang is like, this bitch just shot me. Like, that's mm-hmm. not a hand. And I started putting two and two together. And that's when, like, I think that was the second shot. So I'm, cont- I'm gradually falling on my right-hand side. Um, because that's the way I turn. So I turn right. Of course she turns right too. Cause she shoots me with her left hand, ends up shooting me with her left hand. And I'm like falling to the ground. So as I'm falling again, it's in slow motion. And I remember feeling like a, at this point, I don't have any hearing, so I can't hear when she's shooting. The only thing I can do is like feel the, the gunshots at this point. Um, so I remember like, as I was falling on my right hand side, that like something small, like kind of like a pinch and a sting hit me in my, in my left hip. Later on, we found out that was another gunshot. So I knew as I was falling that she was still shooting at me. But at that point in time, I was like, well, I can't stop myself from falling from the momentum for those of, I I would hope nobody's ever been shot, but most people don't realize that the force that comes behind the bullet is going to pretty much knock you over. Um, So there was really nothing I could do at that point. Like I was going to fall. I had to hit the ground. So I was trying to figure out what would be my best option as far as like falling. Like if I fell on my right hand side, then I was going to fall like on my gun. And if I fell on my um, left hand side, then I risked being shot in the right arm. And I really wouldn't have been able to get my gun out. So I said, well, you got to pick a move. So that's when I was like, well, I'll just fall flat, but then I'll roll like really, really quick. So that way she can't get a headshot behind me and then like really disable me. So that's what I did. I hit the ground and I like, fuck it. And at that point I was like, well, you got to roll left or right. And again, I was thinking, well, if I roll right, I risk getting shot on my right side. And if I roll left, fuck it. I already been shot on the left side. I mean, like just keep all the rounds there. So that's what I did. But at the same time, when I was rolling, I was like, well, I got to protect my head some way because I don't want to roll into the headshot. So that's when I had the bright idea of sticking, sticking my left foot out. It helped, but it hurt because I I did just that. And I remember like when I rolled and kicked my foot out and pulled my gun out at the same time, I remember like seeing the bone fragment and the blood of my foot, like shoot up in my face. So I was like that one. Now all the other rounds didn't really hurt initially. So the two to my face didn't really hurt initially, but that foot one, I don't know if anybody's ever broken a bone and immediately felt it, but that bone fragment is, it's a bitch. So at this point, I think that's what really kind of, besides being shot in my face, because my face really, really hurt. And I thought my jaw was gone. Um, that's how I thought my, it felt like my jaw and my tongue was gone when, when I, when I got shot in the face. So I was really pissed off about that. And then I was extra pissed off about the foot shot. So when I actually got my gun out of my holster and was able to return fire, I was like, look, bitch, it's, it's between me and you at this point. Like it's personal. I was mad as hell. So I knew um, every shot that I could get off, I, I was doing it. Um, so I'm literally laying on my on my back, um, kind of like sitting up just a little bit because, again, I didn't want to sit straight up because my head shot. So I'm laying on the ground. I'm actually like have my gun like I opened my legs, obviously. So I'm like shooting through my legs. And like this stupid bitch is like trying to hide behind the car that she's like shooting at me at. And I took that kind of personal because I was like, well, if I can't have cover, you shouldn't have cover. So like fight. <laughs> I didn't feel like she was fighting fair. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if there's such thing. So I saw her fall behind the car. And that's when I was like, all right, like you got to get some cover at this point. So that was my chance. 
So I get up and I put my foot down and I guess I forgot that I had been shot because when I put my foot down, like I almost fell because obviously there's a big ass hole in my foot and I was like, oh shit. So there used to be a, a big ass trash can right behind that store. And that's where I was like, well, I'm a V line it there because at that point I didn't want to look behind me and try to find my car and get behind it. So I was like, well, I have a better chance of just running across to the trash can, which I did. And at that point I got behind the trash can. I did like a mag change because I didn't know like how many rounds that shot again. Cause I couldn't hear anything. Um, and then that's when I grabbed my radio and I was like, yo, shots fire, shots fire. Like I'm looking around. I was like, damn, where my zone partner at? Like little did I know this whole entire incident transpired in less than like 30 seconds. So I'm behind the trash can and I realized that I see the car backing up the car that the battery was dead in, mind you. And I remember like looking at the car backing up, like, no bitch, you said like the battery was dead. Like the car's out of play. Like you're still not fighting fair. So, he, so she backed up the car. <laughs> I know. I don't mean so to laugh at It's just, it's funny the way you tell it, you know, your the things that go through your mind, right? You know? Right, like, right. Like that's you're, you're mad. I, I mean, you got eight holes in you, and you're mad that she lied to you. Yeah, yeah I'm just like I'm fighting fair. I'm just like fighting fair. Like if you're gonna say something, yeah. like you gotta stand on your word. But then again, like in my delusion, I'm like, this is somebody that wanted to murder you. They're not gonna fight fair. Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh so man. I, um, so she backs the car up, and she drives around the opposite side of the store so not on the same side that i came in but on the opposite side of the store so again i'm still mad so the side of the store that i drove in i ended up running out that same side and he's coming around so she and i meet no so she's driving a car i run we meet in the front of the grocery store plaza and the look of sheer terror on this girl's face is like oh shit like i thought the bitch was dead like nah i'm not but Mm -hmm. So I still have, I was running with my gun in my hand and I was like, I can either shoot across this parking lot with the pistol and probably miss the shot and end up hitting some like random person that's walking in the area. Because again, it's a high crime area where they just walk around or I can just figure out the direction of travel and put it out as best I can while I get help. And that's, and that was, you know, my ultimate decision. I just didn't feel comfortable landing that shot across the parking lot with the pistol. But so Mm -hmm. she ends up pulling out of the parking lot, drives to the right. And in the same direction of the mall where you would go, where she said she came from. So at this point, I, I turn around and I try to run back to my car. Well, at this point, you know, all, all my senses come back in. So now I can hear, I can smell, I can taste. Um, and as I'm like running, I'm, I'm like tripping and falling because like I have a hole in my foot. My foot's not working. And I remember I got to like one point of the um, in the parking gr- in the parking lot where I like threw up all of my Zaxby's. So I didn't know at the time that I had the shot in my stomach. I just remember like while I was throwing up, all I could taste was my curly fries. So I got <laughs> mad again because <laughs> my favorite meal is now my enemy. <laughs> you can't eat that anymore, can you? It no. took me a while. Yeah. I, it, it took me almost three years before I could actually eat that meal again. Oh, like, oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so I throw up. In the parking lot, only thing I could taste is the seasoned fries. I like, I'm, I'm on my hands and knees, still got my gun in my hand, and I'm like, I'm trying to hold it together because at this point I was like, oh shit, like I think I'm hit more than where I think I am. Like I think I'm dying for real. 
And I had to like pull myself together to like touch my face because I, like I said, I was scared that my face was gone. So I finally touched my face and I was like, oh, thank God it's still there. And that's when I like grabbed the radio and I tried to talk, start talking again. Well, nobody's answering me. So I always explain that portion of the story. Like anybody that ever seen End of Watch at the very, very end mm -hmm. where he was laying over his partner and he's screaming like, where the fuck is everybody? That was my End of Watch moment because I was literally screaming like, where the fuck is everybody? Like I said, 1010 to me. It felt like an hour ago, but truthfully to them, it was only like a minute and like a couple of seconds. So I was like, well, I can either run behind my car and just die back there. Cause I, at that point I was trying to get in my end car because I was like, well, if my radio isn't going over, something's happening. Or there was a gas station up the street. So I said, one of the two, I got to pull it together and make it to one of them. Well, by the grace of God, some like random girl is like driving down the street. So I literally run out in the middle of the street and I kind of like fall on her car and I, I saw the terror in her face because I didn't realize how bad I looked with all the blood all over me. And I just kind of nicely still, I got with my gun in my hand. I was like, Hey, I'm Kimber. What's your name? <laughs> what? And I was like, <laughs> calm as day y'all. And, and I kind of remember like tucking my gun behind my back because I was like, I'm not putting it up because I don't know where the rest of the threats are. But at the same time, I didn't want her to feel threatened. So I remember like kind of hiding it behind my back and I was like, hey, do you have a cell phone? She was like, yeah. I said, well, can you call 911 and just say, all you got to say is 144 has been shot and they'll know what you're talking about. And she said, do what? I said, I, and I coached her through it. She pulled up her phone. She called 911 and she was like, what do I say? I said, tell them you're at Harbor Lake, 144 has been shot. And she says exactly that. And then right after that, I mean, might have been like two or three seconds is when my sergeant um, comes pulling up and I remember seeing the look on his face through the windshield and he was like what the fuck and I looked at him and I like laid down in the road I said I handed him my gun I said it's y'all's I said I'm done I said I can't do it like my stomach was hurting I said I'm about to throw up again um and that's when my zone partner and, and everybody else started getting there and they were ripping my shit off uh, putting a tourniquet on me and my sergeant's like leaning over me. He was like, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And I was like, hey, it's a green expedition. It hung a right. It was going back towards North Charleston off of North Red. And he's like, okay. And then as they're like ripping my shit off, I go, oh shit. And I had the fucking, I had her ID tucked in my vest. So when I used to take people's IDs, I mean, y'all know, you would stick it where your pen is and the pen would hold it for you. So you didn't have to keep up with it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly where I had her ID the entire time. Right? So I take the, I snatch the ID down and I hand it to him and he goes, what the fuck is this? I said, that's the girl who shot me. And he was like, how the fuck did you get that? And I was like, she handed it to me. But everybody's like, all the guys are like standing there looking at me like, how the fuck did you ID your shooter? And I was like, ah, she gave it to me. So <laughs> they're putting me in the ambulance to load me up to go to, to Trident Hospital. And my sergeant jumped in the back of the car again. And I go, hey, just to let y'all know, there's a guy in my back seat. And I had forgot he was back there. So they run back there. Um, I, they couldn't find my keys. Not that they were caring at that point. But, so they just busted out the fucking back window of my car just to unlock it or whatever. And my sergeant jumps in. He has two IDs. And he holds them up to me. He was like, grab the one that shot you. And I grabbed it. And I was like, I gave it to you. Like, what the fuck are y'all waiting on? He was like, you said it was a girl. I said, yeah, she had long braids. She had on like some tight ass jeans that I would normally wear. And she had on like a white security shirt. He was like, well, the ID you gave me is a guy. Y'all come to find out it was a transgender. He was in the back. He was in the car with the, with the guy that I had in my back seat. And it was a prostitution deal. 
Mm-hmm. However, homeboy that was in the back seat didn't know that it was really a guy that he was trying to have sex with. So <laughs> <laughs> not getting too TMI with it, but when SLED, the um, state law enforcement division here that investigates all officer involved shootings, they interview him and they were like, hey, like, who's the girl you were with? And he goes into all this fake name spill and they're like, well, you know, that was a guy. Y'all, he spazzed out in the interview. Like, no, the fuck it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And they were like, you were with the guy. And he starts going into graphic detail about how they were trying to have intercourse, but they couldn't because she didn't have a vagina. So she lied to him and was just like, hey, I'll just give you oral because for obvious reasons. Yeah. So we're, we won't get too graphic, but he found out. <laughs> it just keeps <laughs> getting better. Yeah. 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 So I get rushed to the hospital as rightfully so. And like everybody gets there, you know, sheriff chief, um, they're calling everybody up. Like every law enforcement agency is, is on guard because like this guy just shot a cop and they're trying to find him. Well, the ID had the address of where he was currently living. So they, of course they go straight there and he's in North Charleston's jurisdiction. So he pulls up at the house. Um, he's shot, he's bleeding and his he goes into his roommates and he was like, y'all, I need help. Well, like not even, I think like 30 minutes it took them to get there. 30 minutes later, they all surround the house. Um, all of the roommates come out because they're like, yo, we ain't got nothing to do with this. Like he came home bleeding, talking about he just killed the cop. We're out of the house. So he barricades himself and they go into a standoff. I can't remember exactly how long the standoff was, but he was just in there saying, oh, like, you know, I've been shot. Like. Um, y'all got to send an EMS and North Charleston police department as they rightfully so did told him to get bent. Like they're not seeing, sending EMS in. Like you just shot a cop. You can either come out and deal with it that way, or you can just, you know, bleed to death in the house. So <clears throat> SWAT team gets, all this happens while I'm in surgery now. So the SWAT team gets there and they're, they've like had enough of them. They're like, Hey, this is going on a, a long enough. Like we're hitting the door. Like you can come out or we're coming in. So as soon as they hit the door, of course, he chose the coward's way out and he ended up shooting himself. Um, so he now deceased, gone, dead. Nobody misses him, um, especially me. Um, but the backstory for him was that he was originally from Louisiana and he was up in South Carolina running from charges that he had uh, accumulated there. So um, apparently he was wanted for like a couple of armed robberies and an attempted murder. So he came up here running from them because he had family here and um, he started working at doing some cleaning service with a friend. So they're cleaning at some car wash or whatever. And the guy that shot me ends up stealing the gun that he shot me with from the cleaning from the car wash. So the gun wasn't secured while they were cleaning the building and the car he actually it wasn't registered because he had just bought it from that dealership, but they did like some backhand deal where he didn't have any money. So he was cleaning the business to pay off the car. And then he ended up selling the gun while he was there. So we found out that he, which now makes sense that he was left-handed, which makes sense on why he shot me with the left hand and the gun was actually on the left side of the waistband. So um, can't really confirm because the guy in the backseat, the witness didn't never saw a gun. But I'm assuming that at some point while I was talking to him, like that's when um, he grabbed the gun thinking I was going to eventually find out who he was and what he had going on. He had a stolen gun 
Um, so I guess that was just his cowardly way out of dealing with a, a situation. He was already someone who didn't mind trying to kill people because he was fighting charges anyway. And if I'm not mistaken, he was actually charged with the murder years ago, but somehow he beat that charge because like a witness went and come to court. I'm not too familiar with that. But for me, I was in the hospital. I was shot eight times. So I was shot um, two times in the face. Um, I had my radio was shot. That's why they couldn't hear me scream shots fired. So as I was falling to the ground, the one shot went under my vest and hit me and landed in my stomach. And then the other one actually shot my radio. So that's why they couldn't hear any transmissions after that. And then obviously I had the one to the foot and I have um, one more in my knee. Um, so it skimmed my knee. So I have the side. The stomach is what took me out the longest um, for obvious reasons. So I was in the hospital for a week. They took out part of my intestine, small intestine, large intestine. Um, <clears throat> I think I got to the hospital a little bit after 1230. And I think they said my surgery lasted all the way until like eight that next morning. So about an eight hour surgery. So that's like literally how Wow. How serious it was because they wanted to be delicate, right? Because obviously the, the internal bleeding aspect of it and then not coming out with a colostomy bag was the goal. So coming out alive was goal one. Coming out without the colostomy bag was goal two. Successful in both. Um, so, of course, when I wake up, there's like they're the typical cop response when, a, when, when, we're, when we're shot, right? There's agent, there's cops all over the place. Like they were coming in and out of the hospital like all day to the point where like my mom and like everybody was like, yo, we appreciate the support, but I had to go to sleep because I hadn't been asleep. You know, you've been shot that many times, you got to rest. But the outpour of support was like amazing. Even still to this day, it's like been amazing. Um, it's been a long journey. I was out for, so that happened. Oh, that was the ironic portion is my one year anniversary from graduating the Academy, which was February 27, 2015. And then I was shot February 26, uh, 2016. So I didn't make it an entire year um, being a certified officer before this incident happened. And unfortunately, with the new trend with law enforcement being shot, like we're making it less and less, right? Like you're seeing two year cops get into shootings, one year cops. There have been mm -hmm. um, officers that were killed like their first day on FTO, and it's it's getting worse. I think it's gonna get more. I think it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Unfortunately, because of you know politics, there's too much politics and policing now. Um, so the simple fact that I actually survived, I had a whole lot of survivor's guilt. Um, there was actually a officer in South Carolina, um, Alan Jacobs. He got uh, murdered uh, just a couple of weeks after my shooting in South Carolina. So I was in between two um, police officers that were murdered. So the survivor's guilt for me was um, outrageous, really. Um, you kind of just sit there and you're thinking, like, why was I still here? So I went through that for a while. Um, I returned on January, I think, 17th, twenty. 17 so almost a year out you could you could pretty much say it was roughly almost a year um came back went to patrol since then um i've been to i did a little bit of community policing um did a little bit of live pd for a while went to criminal investigations um finally got promoted to sergeant and uh completed polygraph school so now i'm a, a polygrapher and i do background investigations so that's been uh, just hit my seven year anniversary mark. So it's, it's been a wild ride, but it's, it's been a good one. Um, 
just, you know, trying to deal with the PTSD aspect of it. That, that took me a long time to get through. So like the whole Zaxby's thing, like I know we were joking about it, but you're right. I could not eat Zaxby's for like almost three years. And I started going to therapy immediately after my shooting because my agency rightfully so forced me into it. And because that was my favorite meal, I, it was my comfort meal. So every time I would really want something to eat, I would stop at Zaxby's. But I couldn't figure out why I was having like so many triggers and flashbacks until one day, like my therapist was like, like, pay attention to when it happens and try to figure out what's triggering it. And y'all, it was the fact that I was still eating Zaxby's like my my mind and my stomach was saying, hey, these are the curly fries. And this is what it tastes like. It tastes like gunpowder and curly fries, pretty much. So, yeah, for a while, I had to stop eating at Zaxby's. Um, I used to hear random gunshots for a while. Like I would literally try to fall asleep and I would hear like a loud ass bang. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? I thought I was going insane until I realized that it was normal. But I wouldn't have known that if I didn't have like the support. And the therapy. So obviously law enforcement, um, officer involved shootings, like we kind of, you know, get it. Uh, when I explain like how time slows down, how you lose all of your senses, um, like, and it just starts back just randomly. You can't really explain it. Um, so knowing that I had those people around me that knew what was going on and they could help me, that really helped me a lot. So yeah, it's just been a long, it's been a long ride. So you're, go ahead. We, we could do an entire show on just the response to that. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I mean, there's so many aspects of what you encountered and went through. Uh, and me and you had a conversation a while ago. I was unfortunately involved in an, in an incident in a shooting uh, years ago. Uh, and we kind of shared similar things that we both went through. Uh, I wasn't shot, but just the, the, the slowing down of the time. I mean, I'm sitting here now, Kimber and I had spoken in, in probably March or April. So I had heard the story and I'm sitting here getting anxious as you're telling the story because I know what's coming. And you get kind of a little shiver in me because of kind of going, you know, that experience and to, to hear it again and what you did and how thankfully your sense of humor with everything we're doing is a credit to you. My God. Uh, go ahead, Dan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what an incredible story. And, you know, for those who are not in law enforcement and even for those who are or were in law enforcement who have not been shot at or been in a critical situation like that, this is this is not – a regular job. This is the kind of job where you go to work every day and you know this can happen and you train for it, but you're still not 100% ready for it. But, you know, your training kicked in. It takes a lot of guts to just get in a car by yourself or even with a partner and ride around and look for trouble. That's what you do when you're looking for trouble. And you found it that night. And your reaction to it uh, was very very much in line with, with what a professional does, which is you stay focused on things. You remember the little things, so you help the investigation. I mean, you were you were thinking of, uh, this is the ID. This is the person I was just dealing with. This is where they are. That's the car they were in. You did everything you could do to help make sure that this person was going to get caught. Uh, you, you were tactically aware of where you were, uh, of what cover looked like, of, you know, of your injuries and how 
to avoid having another side of you. So you'd be immobilized completely. I mean, it just so many things. And on top of it, you, you tell the story with humor because there is always humor in crazy situations. Right. And, yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah. And, and I love the fact that you got, you know, you got survivor in you, right? Warriors have survivor in them and we get mad when somebody tries to kill us. It's like, you know what? Really? As opposed to being victim. And that's something that it takes in law enforcement. You cannot just roll over. I distinctly remember when I was in the police academy in New York in 1984 and all my instructors were veterans of the Vietnam War and then all the craziness in New York City in the 70s and the 80s. And they told us very clearly, you cannot lose a fight, fist fight, gun fight, whatever it is, you cannot lose it because you die. So it's that real. So you've got to be thinking on your feet in the middle of it. And it, these things happen, you know, it's, it felt to you like forever, but it was a minute and two seconds or something before the first squad pulled up on the scene, your sergeant comes. It feels yeah, like, it an like an eternity. Seconds. Yeah. And then you have, uh, you know, Tom and I talk about this every now and then comparing a job in law enforcement to a regular person's job, you know, and there are heroes all over the world. People who support their family, do a great job, help people. Is not I, I take nothing away from them. But when you go into law enforcement, you have to understand that you can die during the course of that day. And and a lot of people walk away from jobs and careers for a heck of a lot less than what you went through. So for you to climb the mountain of physical recovery, as well as dealing with the traumatic effects of PTSD, the anger, the panic attacks, the anxiety, the depression, the self-isolation, um, the desire to self-medicate, there's so many things that go into play. And it's so common in policing in traumatic incidents, but you're such an inspiration, Kimber. I mean, because you can tell the story now and you can tell it with humor, uh, but it's real. This is a real event in your life that you'll never be able to forget, but you're deciding to use it to share your story, to let people know that you can survive crazy incidents, whether you're a cop or a civilian, you can survive. If you've got a will to live and you want to survive, you can do it. A lot of it's your mindset. A lot of people might have passed away as a result of what happened to you. God's got a plan for you, Kimber, and you're here for a reason. And sharing your story and sharing your your um, your tribulations, what you went through to get back to where you are right now, is is um, is so inspiring and so compelling. And I, I want all of all of our audience to know how much Tom and I respect you, appreciate you. And, and you stand for the very best that there is in law enforcement. Your commitment to your community has not wavered. You went right back to the job at the Berkeley County Sheriff's Office in South Carolina because that is your calling in life. And I think I heard you say you weren't going to let that bitch get in the way of your career and your calling. Um, and I love that attitude. You're a fighter and it's an honor, honor to get to know you. And wow, I don't even know where to start. Wow, what a story. Man, you are something else. You are something else, Kimber. <laughs> Thank you. I greatly appreciate that, y'all. Thank you. You know what I found? And, and here's a – this kind of sums Kimber up in, in what she went through. I found a post that you put out after the shooting. And someone had 
you know, express their feelings for you and hoping you were okay and, and all that. And your post to them was, I'm alive. I fought. I made it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was your post. I mean, <laughs> if that doesn't sum it up, uh, nothing does. Well, and she, you're, you're- she didn't just make it. She went back to school and got her master's degree. <laughs> 20, 2018, I think it was, right? Right, right. I, I, that unfortunately, it gave me time to focus on my master's. But yep, I, I, I chose that wisely. I said, "Well, there's no reason not to finish it now." Because I mean, I almost didn't finish it. That's inc- that's incredible. That's so inspiring. You know, I mean, don't let things in life get in your way of your dream, your goals, and your vision, especially the actions of somebody like this person, who, right. who you know. Obviously, lost, confused individual, right? And and they'll deal with God in their own terms, but um, but you uh, you exemplify everything that is good and great about the men and women of law enforcement who are selfless and who are brave, and it takes courage to do what you did, and especially to climb back up into the sheriff's office and say, "I'm here, I'm ready to go." Tell me about, tell us about, if you don't mind, when you first went back to work. Yeah, when I first went back to work, it was um, as rough as you could imagine, right? That that mm-hmm. first traffic stop, um, trying to get back into the groove. Um, I remember when I went back, I told myself that I wasn't going to just like sit still and not be proactive again because that would just not get me back acclimated to what I was used to. Mm-hmm. And and it took me a while to get there. It took me um, it took me a lot of traffic stops. It took me a, a lot of. Um, a lot of nights where I wanted to go home, but I had to fight through it. There was a lot of nights that I just wanted to sit, um, not do anything. And I think what pushed me to that point was I had to remember that one, that they, I survived for a reason. Mm-hmm. And two, that there were a lot of officers that didn't get the ability to come back, whether it because they, they lost their life or physically and mentally, they just couldn't come back. And that's completely fine. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Coming back to work after a law, after an officer involved shooting, is a lot. And there's nothing wrong if you and your family say, Hey, I'm gonna hang up the towel because my life and my family's life is more important than, than the mm-hmm. job. And that's completely fine. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to ever think that if this does happen to them, that they are forced to go back because you are not. Um, but I think for me having the support of the law enforcement family and knowing that they watched me and they knew that I needed help and they knew that they could stick beside me. I think that helped me a lot going back because there were a few times where I was like, is this even worth it? Mm-hmm. You know, right. I, I come back and um, I won't forget my first, I can't, I can't remember. It was my first anniversary or my second anniversary. I was at work and we actually had a officer involved shooting on the exact same date of my shooting. Wow. And he, um, and that one was a, a bit intense. Um, his entire patrol car was, was shot. Um, so when I went to therapy, like right after that, he was like, um, you know what you and this date and Tom, I know you and I talked about it. Like sometimes <laughs> you feel when your day is coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it's been seven years, my mind and my body still reminds me that, Hey, this date is coming up. And he, even he said, he was like, you know, maybe from now on, you should just take that day off from work. And ever since that day, I have lived by it. <laughs> and February 26th rolls around on a weekday. I am off. Um, but yeah, it, it took a while for me to get back situated and get back to work. So February yeah. tw- February 26th is my daughter's birthday. Uh, and it's also 1993. Her second birthday was the first bombing of the World Trade Center. 
So there's something about that day. I don't know. Maybe I'll start taking it off too. I won't go anywhere on February yeah, 26th. Something, <laughs> something about February 26th, man. And then, yeah. you know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> now, let, let me ask you, Kimber, when you went out on patrol and we had this conversation, uh, did your sergeant like kind of push you like, hey, get back out there, start doing what you're doing? Because we, we had talked about this. My first after my shooting, which involved, I mean, it was a little crazy. It was three guys a shooting. One of our guys got shot during that shooting and having, you know, about 47, 50 rounds fired in my shooting. Mm-hmm. I remember my first night back, my sergeant grabbed me. I mean, physically grabbed me and went, you're arresting someone tonight. You're putting your hands on someone tonight and you're getting back into this. Yeah. And we went out there and, and, you know, I worked in a very high crime area, so it wasn't that hard. But he made me make an arrest that night. And I remember you telling a story about that, you know, your first night uh, back on patrol. So how was that? Yeah. So my first night, I remember I um, I actually pulled a car over and it it was nothing to that at car stop. Right. It was just um, it ended up being an older lady kind of all over the road. I thought she was under the influence, but she she Mm -hmm. was older in age. So, of course, I walk up to her. There's nothing to it. I say, hey, let me just go um, strike out a written warning because we can't give verbals and I'll be right back. And I remember, like, I don't know what it was, but um, I took a deep breath in and I was like, oh, Lord, whatever I had for lunch that day was coming up. And I remember, Mm -hmm. like, running back to the car and, like, throwing, like, her license and, like, the registration and stuff back to her. And I, like, upchucked everything on the side of my car. And I feel like that was just, like, my nerves getting to me, right? Like... That's the first time like my eyes are seeing like the blue lights flashing, like it's night, like the sun was setting. So it definitely had like a mental effect because um, even when the weather changes around, like especially here around like November, December, when it really gets cold, when that first wind blows in, it still does something to me. I don't know. I guess mm. it's because of wind blowing that that night where I could actually smell the gunpowder. Mm. But yeah, that first night was rough. But yeah, they forced me back into it. They knew I wanted to get back into it. So they say, hey, you just you can't sit around or you're, you'll never get used to it again. So yeah. Mm-hmm. They- wow. So what what do you uh, what's your capacity now with the Berkeley County Sheriff's Office? I know you've been promoted to sergeant. Um, you're a polygrapher. You're doing that kind of work right now. What's your ambition? Where, where are we going to see Kimber five years from now, 10 years from now? You're going to be a, sh- a sh- elected sheriff. You're going to be a chief of police. What's your goal? You got the masters. I mean, you're, you're, you're preparing a heck of a career. I just want to, I'm curious, what are you thinking? Yeah. So, um, we just had a, a opening for a promotion. So we do that, um, once a year. So I'm, I'm in the promotional process for Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just the typical testing. Um, you know, you got to read policy, do scenarios, do the interviews. Um, and so basically what I do all day, every day now is, um, in professional standards, but my main focus is I do all the background investigations and polygraphs for the agency. So whether it's a criminal polygraph or it's um, for the applicants, applicants are real fun. You hear a lot of crazy stuff <laughs> <laughs> um, that we could do a show alone on oh, yeah. polygraph for applicants. <laughs> um, so oh. I do I do all of the background. I do all the hiring. Um, so it's a it's tough especially in this climate with applications right um i'll say that um i don't i was talking to my captain who actually was the polygrapher 
Um, of course, he's the captain now, so I, I I do all of them and just report to him. And I asked him, I said, you know, when I came on in 13, was it this bad? And he was like, no. <laughs> he's like, no. <laughs> he's like, it was not that bad. So um, in a couple of years, I don't know if I ever want to be that high up as far as a sheriff. Like my sheriff deals with a lot. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could ever you know, get that high. I could, I could see myself maybe as a captain, but I think that's where I would stop. And then, you know, retirement hopefully would be knocking on my door. Yeah. Well, it would <laughs> but, be, you a- know, five years from now, hopefully I'll be a Lieutenant on patrol. Who knows? Mm-hmm. It's a great goal. It's a great, yeah. uh, it's a great outlook. You, you know, the Berkeley County Sheriff's office in South Carolina is lucky to have you for many, many reasons. But one of those many reasons is the same thing that you were given as a gift from your FTO. You had a female training officer who was involved in a shooting incident and had that under her belt and had the perspective and the experience. And she shared that with you. And you mentioned earlier how that never left you. You never forgot that. Well, you are a living example of several things. One, you can make it through these situations. Two, you're tougher than you think. And three, you can come back and be on the job. You have resiliency built into you and you can tap into it. And there are going to be incidents, and I hate to predict it, but there are going to be during the course of your career where people around you are going to have critical incidents like that. And they're going to be so lucky to have you because knowing enough about you as I do right now, you'd be the first one over there going, come here, let me talk to you. Let me help you. Um, And that's what this profession is all about, right? That brotherhood and sisterhood. If we don't support each other, who will? Because nobody knows what it's like to walk in our shoes until you've done it. And, um, And that's why cops try to stay you know, connected with cops because we, we understand each other. And um, you, you're just a, a, an excellent example, I said before, of the best of what law enforcement produces. And um, so thank you for your service to your community and for being on the show today. You're just an incredibly easy person to listen to. You're so great at telling your story. And, um, and you know, You've clearly got life in you. You know, I mean, you know, somebody tried to take that life away, but they could not extinguish Kimber. You are just too much of a, of a powerful life force. And uh, for that, we're happy. Thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. y'all so much for reaching out. And thanks to Jen for putting me in contact with Tom. If, if it mm-hmm. wasn't for her, I would not know who y'all were or go. <laughs> I know now and y'all not get rid of me. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, no, you're stuck with us. You're yeah. stuck with us. Yeah. Completely stuck. So listen, I know uh, you have a couple of speaking engagements. You, you're going to be busy, and you have been busy. You have some scheduling stuff uh, out there. I, I want you to take this opportunity to to kind of share where you're going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And if anyone has the opportunity to come listen to you and, and hear the story in person, they have to. I mean, especially someone in law enforcement. And I know all of us are going to be at the same uh, event in uh, November in Pittsburgh. Right. Yep. So we'll get to see you there. But let let the audience know where you're going to be. What do you got coming up? So I'll uh, specifically be, that is confirmed. I will be in Pitts, Pittsburgh with, uh, with Jen Spears. Again, she invited me to um, her homicide investigators uh, conference and Pretty much that is for um, people and, you know, detectives and, you know, coroners, um, investigators um, who obviously investigate homicides, cold cases, one of which I used to be a detective as well. So I get um, how important it is to bring closure to a family. So I will be there Mm -hmm. um, sharing my experience. And the reason why I'll be there uh, sharing my experience is one. 
you know, PTSD isn't just for one specific set of people. It's for everybody. Everybody goes through a traumatic event. And mm-hmm. then of course, I want to be there for, um, you know, law enforcement officers. You know, we we all experience some sort of tra- trauma and you got to talk about it. You got to get through it. And then also for um, for the medical examiners and the coroners, like that's still an investigation that could have been me on that table. So you obviously have to remember every time that you go to these investigations, you got to go one step above. And unfortunately at some point, somebody in their career might respond to an officer involved shooting with an officer being deceased and they need to know how to handle that and how important Mm -hmm. they are. Um, so that, that one I will for sure be, um, attending. I have two more. I don't want to say just yet because we're still trying to work some kinks out, but as soon as I, I get those confirmed, Tom, you'll be the first one to know. I'll push it to you and um, we can get it out. But one might be in in Alabama. I'll say that. And then the Mm -hmm. other um, will be in South Carolina. So anybody that's in South Carolina will get that out. It should be in October. Um, So as soon as we get those confirmed, I will share. Outstanding. Outstanding. We'll let our audience know. Absolutely. By by every channel that we use, the the social media, the the website, the the show. Absolutely. We'll, We'll keep people posted. They're going to want to know, and I can't wait to meet you in person. Haven't met you in person yet, um, but uh, looking forward to it. And um, Tom, why don't you take us out and thank on my on my behalf? And uh, I just want to thank you, Kimber. And, and I know you're going to continue to do great work serving your community. But uh, you've been a joy to talk to and uh, and an inspiration. So thank you for that. Yes, thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate y'all. And uh, yeah, just to, to echo Dan, thank you so much for this inspirational story. Uh, we're all about getting stories like this out. This one is a little different, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, but you're a warrior. You're an inspiration to to young officers to just, you know, when it hits hard, get it together and continue to live your dream. Uh, you had mentioned to me once before that you weren't going to let this criminal we'll just use that as a word ruin your dream of being a cop uh you you know you weren't going to let that happen uh you weren't going to quit i don't think that was ever in your mind Mm-mm. you know you were just going to you know finish your your healing on both ends physically and mentally and get back to what your dream was and it's such a pleasure to talk to you and this was a great show is what we thought it was going to be yep. with a crazy story, a lot of laughs in the middle, mm-hmm. and uh, we will definitely be in touch and push out all your information on our website, on our social media platforms, and everything else. Uh, and like we always do, and and even again more today, we ask all our listeners to please pray for all our law enforcement officers out there, because this situation that Kimber just explained can happen all over this country in a second. Mm-hmm. To numerous officers out there, you know, we say it all the time that 99% of this country goes home at the end of their day of work. Cops have a 50-50 shot of getting home safely. And uh, that ratio is not acceptable. Uh, so we need their prayers. We need everyone's prayers and, and thoughts uh, to all our law enforcement brothers and sisters out there. So, again, thank you, Kim Burgess, for an amazing show. To my partner, Dan Murphy, another fantastic episode. And for everyone out there, thank you again for tuning in. And everyone, please stay safe.